Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. If you've got your Bibles, I hope that you do. Would you open them up to the book of Acts chapter 4? Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab one of those hardback black Bibles, either under your chair or in the chair under, underneath in front of you. Either way, if you grab that Bible, you're going to want to turn to page 912. I don't know how, but somehow we've made it. It is 2021. Amen? Amen. Uh, uh, last week, Pastor Nathan preached, and before I even tell you what I want to tell you, let me tell you, if you weren't here last week, go online, tothepoint.church slash media, and listen to that sermon, because Nathan rocked it. That was a great message that encouraged me. Yeah, absolutely. I love this guy. He is awesome. He, he, I told him, and I, I meant it in all seriousness, y'all could fire me and just have him do everything. He did a great message. It was great. So, so on, on a serious note, if you missed that message, go back, go online, listen to it. It will be an encouragement and a help to you. But last week, as Nathan preached, he said something that I think all of us can identify with. He said that 2020 as a year was, and I quote, garbage. Amen? <laughs> that, that we, can, we can get that. I, I get that. I, I think we can all identify with that. I mean, think about everything that we went through. We had COVID lockdowns. We had wildfires out on the West Coast and down in, in uh, New Zealand. We had hurricane here and hurricanes all over the place. We had two hurricanes at once in the Gulf. Like, it was a bad year. We had the race riots. We had elections. We had financial challenges. There were toilet paper bridges, y'all. Like, like, think about that. Like, like, like my grandparents, they, they would like keep extra stuff in. I, I think I'm scarred. Like I think we're always going to have an extra case, like a Sam's Club size case of toilet paper in the garage just because of this last year, right? It, it was a tough year. And I don't know about y'all, but as we rang in the new year, my first reaction was good riddance. Get behind me 2020. You have not in mind the things of God, right? Like that was a tough year. But then I paused and I really started thinking about 2020 and as I thought about it, 2020 really did have a lot of blessings too. Like we were forced to slow down. We were forced to just slow down from the busyness of life and actually, you know, spend time with our families. We had so much more family time in this last year than I think we've had in a long time. As a church, we were blessed to receive the members and property of First Baptist Alberta as we joined forces together to bring the gospel to this community. And, and because of those COVID lockdowns, all through the spring and summer, for 18 weeks, we got to feed over 60 kids five days a week, breakfast and lunch, through our Feed Alberta program. By the way, that wasn't cheap, and y'all just kept giving, and it was paid for. We never had a week where we were short on money. We spent over $18,000 on that, and it was worth every cent. God let us do that. And then after, the, after Hurricane Sally came through, because he had given us this campus and this place right here in the center of town, we got to use this campus as a hub to serve Alberta. We were able to give out hundreds of hot meals. We were able to give out non-perishable food, water, tarps, gasoline, blankets, bleach, you name it, ice. We were giving away tons of stuff. 
We got to have a, a trunk or treat at Halloween that was so popular in the community, and we didn't even really advertise. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like next year, but it was so popular in the community, we had to go get more candy, not just once, but twice during the event. 2020 had a lot of blessings. As bad as it was, it came with some awesome opportunities to serve the Lord by serving our community. It came with awesome blessings from God. And as a side note, let me challenge you because I, I think I know our hearts. I think I know where we're at. Like my inclination is gonna be to remember 2020 by all the bad stuff that happened. But, but let me challenge you. Let's, let's remember 2020 for the blessings. Let, let's remember 2020 for the ways that God was so incredibly good to us. As we begin this new year this year though, as we hit the reset button, as we put up new calendars, anybody else put up a new actual calendar? Like, are we the only ones? We got a calendar hanging in the kitchen, right? As we, as we do that, I want to take just one more Sunday before we return to our series in Hebrews to share a little bit of where my heart is at for us, for, for me as your pastor, for, for us as a church, and, and kind of try and give you a vision of how we can continue to serve the Lord in 2021. So over the last couple of weeks, as, as we've been thinking about this, this time that's happening, we've been going through Advent, I've been thinking about a new year. And as I've been thinking about a new year's, in a lot of ways, uh, it's, it really has felt kind of like we're starting a new season. I, I, maybe it's just because they got a vaccine out there. Maybe it's because I've just retired. I don't know what it is, but it, it really does feel like it's a whole new season for us as a family, as a church. And, and as I've thought about a new year, as I've thought about a new season, I've thought about goals. And, and as the Lord presents us with another year of ministry here at the Point Church, Alberta, the, the questions that have been circling around in the back of my head over the last few weeks have been, what do we want to accomplish? What do we want to do with this year? And as I've thought about that, really, there have been kind of two answers that come to mind. The, the first answer is kind of a negative response. It's, it's what I don't want to do. The, the first answer is I don't want to play church. I don't want this to just be a thing we do on Sunday mornings where we, we gather together. I don't want this to be a routine. I don't want to spend my year writing and preaching entertaining sermons that draw a crowd, that draw an audience, but don't change lives. You know, I, I read an article this last week um, that referenced a Barna Group study that found that 22% of churched adults, that, that's people who self profess to be regular church attenders. 22% of churched adults have completely quit attending church since the pandemic began. They're not going in person. They're not going online. They've completely stopped. That's one in five. Now, now let me tell you um, that as the article worked to break that down, as they worked to explain why that's the case, as it worked to help help us understand why these numbers are what they are, the author made a comment that I want you to hear. He, he said that for years, the Western church has been too focused on attracting rather than equipping. And, and then he said, and I'm going to quote him here, he said, to some extent, the pandemic era church revealed what we had produced. Lots of attenders who, once the pattern was interrupted, stopped attending. It was easy to assume we had cultivated devotion, but instead what we'd really done is created attendance habits that once the pattern was interrupted, quickly dissolved. 
To reference the overused proverb, perhaps we took too many people fishing, but never taught them how to fish, end quote. Let me, let me tell you something, like on a serious note, as a pastor, as a, as a, I'm, I'm a new pastor, I can admit that, right? As a new pastor, that stings. Like that, that, that's a little cutting. That, that makes you want to pause and just think for a minute. And, and so as I've reflected on that, and I, I pray that's not what we've been doing. I, I really don't think that it is. But either way, there's some truth in that statement. So, so my first answer to the question of what do we want us to do in the coming year? What, what do we want to accomplish? My first answer is I don't want to play church. I'm not here to play a game. I could earn way more money doing other things. You guys could, could earn money. You could be doing other stuff. If we're just playing a game, let's quit wasting our time. I don't want to play a game, but directly connected to that, directly connected to that answer is, is the other half. And, and if the first answer to that question is, is the negative, if the first answer is I don't want to play church, if the first answer is, is I, what I don't want to be doing, the second answer is the positive. The second answer is what I want to be doing. And that second answer is I want to be serious about making disciples. I want to see people grow in their love for God, in their their love for the word of God for each other. I want us to be a church that isn't focused on bringing people in, but on sending people out. I want us to be a place where you come and you grow and then you, you go and you proclaim where you do it in your homes, in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, in your community. I want to be serious about making disciples because the truth is that's what we've been commanded to do. That, that's the mission that Christ gave his church. We, we repeat it every single Sunday, right? We're gonna do it today. We're gonna say it today. He said, go therefore and make disciples. And the, the main command there is not go. The main command is make I want to be serious about that. So so if we're going to be serious about that, the logical question we have to ask is how? How can we be serious about making disciples? How how can we be serious about ensuring that we don't play church? Those are questions that don't necessarily have easy answers. Like we're going to have to spend some time, but but as we consider them, if, if we look to scripture, I think we can find a path that will help us and will guide us in the right direction. And that's what I, why I want you to take a look at Acts chapter 4 with me. But, but as we're getting ready to look at that section of the book of Acts, uh, I, I want to set the stage for you a little bit. So the book of Acts itself begins in chapter 1 where, where we read of Jesus' commissioning of his disciples to go and proclaim the gospel. And then he ascends up into heaven. And after he ascends into heaven, the disciples, they go back together, the 11 that are remaining, the 11, the the men we would call the apostles, they go back, and the first thing they do is pray. And after they pray, they they pick a new disciple, they they pick a new person to replace Judas who who had betrayed Jesus, they picked Matthias. In chapter 2, we read of the events of Pentecost, which we talked about multiple times, right? So, so they, they gather together, they're praying, the Holy Spirit descends, and then all of a sudden, they're all speaking the native languages of everybody who had come from all over the world to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem. When, when the crowd reacted to this event that was happening, Peter, he gets up and he preaches this sermon that would make Billy Graham look like an amateur, 
He, he preaches that sermon, and, and then they have 3,000 people who repented and they placed their, their hope and faith in Jesus. And with the close of the events at Pentecost, with, with those events and, and the close of them, the church is born. In, in fact, the end of chapter 2 tells us that these new Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, and awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's a text we're familiar with. We've, we've preached through that text a couple times in just the year and a half I've been here. That's, that's a familiar text. Those, those six verses at the end of chapter two, they outline the birth of the church. And what I want you to see for just a minute before we move over into chapter four, what I want you to see is that there is an intimate community that developed from the very beginning. Like, like we're on day one of the church. It's day one, and you can see that they're coming together to pray, to worship, to eat. That's how you know they're Baptists. They were eating together, right? Day one, they're com coming together. From day one, we see that church equals community. It equals community. Take that, file it away, save it. We're going to need that when we get to chapter four. But then as we move into chapter th three, some, some crazy things start to happen in Jerusalem. One, one day, Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple to pray. And, and as they're on their way to the temple to pray, they meet this guy who's, who's sitting outside the temple gate. He's sitting there and he's begging because he's been lame from birth. And so he's begging for money. He doesn't have any money. You guys remember the song we used to sing as kids? Just, just, just me, nobody, right? He's begging for money. Peter and John say to him, we, we don't have any money, but what we have, we're going to give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And then what happens? Y'all remember the song, right? No? He went walking and leaping, praising God, walking and leaping. Am I the, come on, sympathy laugh, come on, something. <laughs> right, Am I, I'm the only one that sang that song, right? So, so the guy gets up, he starts walking and celebrating the fact that he has been healed. And when that happens, what happened? Like it drew a crowd. People are like, this dude's been lame his whole life. We've seen him there every day for as long as we can remember, and he is healed now. What is going on? And what does Peter do? He gets up and he preaches a sermon. And, and it's one of those sermons that's like, dude, maybe, maybe you shouldn't say that to them. Like, they're going to kill you. But, but as he preached that sermon, the total number of disciples goes from 3,000 to 5,000. Like, God's at work in Jerusalem, in the early church. But at the same time that he, these people hear the gospel message and they, they accept Christ, there's another group of people who's listening. This time, they also drew the attention of the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees who arrested them and threw them into prison. And the following day, at the beginning of chapter 4, we see them before the Sanhedrin, uh, the, the, the elders and rulers and scribes of Jerusalem, and, and they're questioning them. And, and Peter boldly shares the gospel with them again. The, the council, they, they don't know what to do, so they threaten them, and they, they say, hey, you stop preaching in the name of Jesus. You stop that. We don't want to hear his name anymore. That's what he does. 
And at this, Peter and John reply, Whatever, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Wow. Like, like the equivalent of that is like going before the president, the president of the United States and saying, you stop talking about Jesus. The dude's got all the power. I've got no power. And they're saying, hey, if you think that's the right thing, sure, whatever, but I, I can't help but tell you about Jesus. That's what happens right there. And, and so the Sanhedrin, they threaten them again, but they're released. And that brings us to the text we're going to spend our time in today. So if you got your Bibles, let's go to Acts chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 23. Hear the word of the Lord. They've been released. And it says, When they were released, they went with, to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak in your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs or wonders are, and are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that anything of any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look at this text, there is so much in there. Like, like even as I'm reading, there's, there's so much good information, so much good knowledge about what it means to be the church, what it means to be your disciple in just these few verses. God, as we spend the next few minutes talking, would you work on our hearts? Would you give us a, a, an energy, a, a vision, a, a passion to serve you in the year ahead? Would you help us to see the mission that you've given us and see the way that we can achieve that mission, the way we can, can take over as, as you've called us to this community for your name. We can make, make your name great in Alberta. God, we thank you for your word and for this time that we have together. Work on us right now. If there's somebody here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that today would be the day where they hear the gospel message and they finally surrender their pride, repent of their sin, and find the freedom and, and grace that is available in your Son. 
God, we thank you for this time that we have together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I, I will freely admit that we have covered a lot of ground in the book of Acts just to get here and read this little passage together. But, but we've done that because I want you to get a, a clear picture of what is going on in the early church. Remember, today we're here to, together and we're asking these questions. How can we be serious about making disciples? And how can we ensure that we don't just play the game, that we don't just play church? And as we look at the early church, specifically as we look at this part of Acts chapter 4, I want to point out four distinctives of the early church that, that I believe can serve as a roadmap for us as we serve the Lord together in 2021. And, and all four of these distinctives are built around the observation we made as we were looking at Acts chapter 2 there together. All four of them are built around the fact that church equals community. We, we've got to let that sink in. We, we saw from day one of the church, Christians were coming into intimate community. They were coming together. How can we ensure that we don't just play the game? How do we ensure that we don't just play church? We, we can ensure that we don't play church by starting with this being more than just a Sunday gathering. It starts with being a community. It starts with, with taking the time to get to know each other, to build relationships together, to live life, to, to use the cliche, to do life together. And you can't do that by just coming in here for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. You've got to be willing to open up your homes, to come together outside of these four walls and live together. So, so let me tell you, if, if you're part of this church, but you're not part of a connect group, I want to urge you to get connected. If you, if you want to be serious about following Jesus in this year, you, you can't do it alone. You've got to do it with other Christians. You're not going to grow. And, and I get it. I get it. This is a COVID world we're living in. This is going to be hard. I mean, like cards on the table, even the connect group that I'm a part of, my connect group, after months of, of doing the, the whole Zoom online meeting, we, we kind of fizzled out. So I'm, I'm preaching to myself here too. But community is key. Circles are greater than rows. Circles are greater than rows. You see this graphic here. I want you to get this. Let, let this burn into your brain for a second. The, the circles you form in your living rooms, in your homes, as you're in your connect groups doing life together, you will learn more, you will grow more, you'll become a better disciple of Christ in those circles than in the rows you're sitting in right here on a Sunday morning. If you want to be serious about being a follower of Jesus, you've got to get connected. So, so really quick, here's my plug. If you're not a member of an active connect group, I want you to be. There, there is a sign-up sheet out on the table to the left in the foyer out there. Sign up. Just put your name and your contact information. If you're willing to host a connect group, if you're willing to facilitate a connect group, just check those blocks, they're right there for you. Either me or Nathan, one of our deacons, are going to reach out to you directly. We want to get you connected into a group where you can do life with other Christians. You can struggle together to be like Christ. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, community is key. Everything we're going to talk about from here on out all of it will fizzle. All of it will be pointless if you're not in community. Okay, so community equals church. You got that? You with me on this? Let's move on. Let's dive into this text. I, I told you that I want to show 
Four distinctions of the early church uh, of that community that formed in Acts chapter 4 that I believe can serve as a roadmap for us as a church here in Alberta in 2021. And the first distinctive that I want you to see is that this was a community that prayed. It's a community that prayed. That's what verses 23 through 31 are. And so, so Peter and John, they come back from their meeting with the Sanhedrin where they're threatened. They tell their friends what, what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And then the first thing they do as a community, as they come back together, is they pray. Have you noticed that? Like, like they had that support network that they needed. And so the first thing that they do is they pray. The, the threats that were made against them were real, credible threats. And so they dealt with them in a real and incredible and serious manner by taking them to the Lord. We, we see them pray this awesome prayer that, that comes to the core request at verses 29 and 30. They prayed, and now, Lord, look upon their hearts and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Like, like look at that. Essentially, the, they pray for continued boldness as they partner with God in the work that he was doing. Don't, don't miss that. That's a big ask. Like, like, think about what they could have prayed but didn't. They, they, they didn't pray that their opposition would be crushed. They could have, but they didn't. They, they didn't pray that their allies would take over the leadership of Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin. They, they could have, but they didn't. They asked that God would make them bold as he worked to save souls. Do you see that right there? But, but, but how do you get to that point? How do you get to the point where you're able to pray prayers like that? Where you're able to pray big prayers? You get there by praying. You, you, you get to the point where you're able to pray big prayers by, by just praying, by talking to God. And I think as we, we think about this idea of prayer, I think one of the biggest hurdles that we face when it comes to prayer is that we think that God is, is sitting up in heaven and he's like looking down on us and he's grading the way we talk to him. We, we think that God is up there and he's like, well, Josh, you didn't speak to me in the King James English, so I can't hear you right now. Maybe you should work on that. That's not how it works. You, you don't have to pray a special way. You, you just talk to God. So, so you learn to pray by just talking to him like he's sitting across the table from you. You can just talk to God and he's going to hear you. That, that's one of the big hurdles we encounter. I think another one, especially among the church that, that stifles our prayers, that we're afraid to pray big prayers. We're afraid to make the big ask. But, but have you ever considered the fact that we're not, we're not just told once, we're, we're told twice in the Bible to ask big. We're, we're told to ask big. We're told we can, we can ask for anything. Jesus himself said that. Jesus told us in John 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He's telling us to ask him for anything. The whole context of that is he's encouraging his disciples. He's about to leave them. That's Jesus's final discourse there in John 14. And he said, hey, you can ask me. I'm not going to be here, but you can ask me and I'll do it. And the only caveat, the only caveat there 
is that we have to ask in Jesus' name. We'll come back to that for just a, in just a second, but, but you gotta see that we're allowed to ask for big things. We, we can ask that the, that the marriage we see that's crumbling and looks like it's beyond any repair, we can ask that God would restore that marriage. We can ask for the wayward brother, the brother who doesn't want anything to, to do with God, the, the brother who is so antagonistic that he gets angry if we bring it up. We can ask that God would lead him to repentance. We can ask that God would, would bring about a kind of revival that when people look at it, they think, what is going on in Alberta? They'll think it's crazy. We can ask for that kind of stuff. And again, the only caveat is that we ask in Jesus' name. That's the only catch. If there could be a catch, is that we pray in Jesus' name. But, but what does that mean? What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? First, let, let, let me make it clear that when we say we're praying in Jesus' name, we pray we're, we're not adding on some sort of key that unlocks God's power. It's not some magical mantra that we pray that, that provides us with our heart's desire. No, when, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying that we're asking to the best of our ability, to the best that we can search our own heart and search our own motivations. We're saying, God, we want this thing. We want you to do this thing because it's going to bring glory and honor to your name as best we can tell. So we're asking that you would do it because it's in your will. That's what it means to ask in Jesus' name. We're asking it in accordance with his will. We're saying, God, we're trying to do this thing. We want you to do this thing because it's going to make your name great. Which is why the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence we have toward him. Listen, listen to what he tells us here. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Think about that for a second. If, if we're asking and, and it's inside the will of God, he's going to hear what we're asking for. But he goes on and he says, and, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked him. He's going to give it to us so we can pray big prayers with confidence. Do you see that? If you're not good at praying, like if, if, if you're hearing me and, and this to you sounds like a guilt trip, like, like I should be doing that, that's not at all what I'm saying. I need you to hear me on this. I'm telling you, there's no reason to be afraid to pray. There's no reason to hesitate in prayer. There's no reason to not ask big. We can ask big. We can talk to God and we can do this together. You learn to pray by praying. You just do it. If you're not good at praying, it's okay. You'll learn. It's okay. Just, just talk to God. Don't worry about some sort of special language. Don't worry about some special format. Just talk to him. And as you talk to God, don't be afraid to ask big. We've been commanded in Scripture to ask big. That's what we see there. That's, that's the first thing. If, if we want to be serious about making disciples, we need to be a community that prays. And... and because of that, the Point Church is going to be a church that prioritizes prayer. We're going to be a community that prays. We're going to pray in our services. Every single month, we're going to take the first Sunday of the month, and we're going to pause, and a whole chunk of that service is going to be dedicated 
to spending some time talking to God as a church, collectively together. We're gonna do that today. After the sermon, we're gonna pause for a few minutes and we're gonna pray. Each Sunday, the first Sunday of the month, we're gonna do that. We're gonna pray in our connect groups. In our connect groups where we gather in these smaller groups, we're gonna pause and we're gonna pray for one another. We're gonna have more intimate prayers in those connect groups because it's a more intimate setting. But those are just as important, just as powerful. And we're going to encourage and empower you to pray in your personal life. Like, I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Cards on the table. Leave the sermon over there for a second. I've been praying my head off this week. Because this has been weighing on me. I, I reached out to the deacons and I asked them to pray about this. This is a big deal. We need to be a church that is committed to prayer. And so we want to empower and enable you to pray. And we're going to do that as a church. That's our first distinctive. The second distinctive we see is that the early church was a community that was unified. Take a look at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now we're going to come back to the second half of that verse in a moment with our fourth distinctive. But what I want you to see right here is that the unity that the early church shared and that unity could not have been easy. It, it couldn't have been easy. Like, like it's easy to read this and, and think full number there in the text um, is referring to like the 12 apostles or, or maybe we think of a group of like 50 or 60 people together and we're like, of course, of course they're able to be unified. But remember where we're at. Like the early church at this point, they're, they're what we would call a mega church today, right? We're talking about 5,000 Christians. And Luke is telling us here that they were of one heart and soul. They were united in their mission by a God-given unity. Now, now, we can know just from continuing to read in the book of Acts, like, like we only, in fact, we only have to go into the next chapter, the very beginning of chapter 5. And then further on as well, we'll, we'll see that it wasn't a perfect unity. There, there were some challenges involved. There were problems but the idea is that they worked for unity, and we want to do the same thing. Listen, being in community is going to be hard. It's not easy. Like, to be honest, the first connect group that I was really involved with was a connect group at a church we were at out in California, and that community group, I think we called them community groups out there, that community group was hard. We, we had disagreements. We had personality conflicts. Cards on the table, like the wife of our group leaders, of our, of our group leader for that group, like she drove me nuts on a regular basis. Like we didn't get along. You know why we didn't get along? Because she was a sinner, and so am I. Of course we're not gonna get along. Of course there's gonna be challenges. Of course it's going to be hard. We had disagreements, but, but do you know what? Like, like we powered through. We worked through those. Like, no kidding, there was a point where, like, I, I, I told Tim, I was like, I'm, we need to find a different group. This isn't working. But, but we didn't do that. We stuck it out. We, we powered through. And by the time we left, we absolutely loved each other. God grew our hearts. He grew us as disciples together as we worked through the hard. The Lord helped me to grow and mature in that season. And I'm telling you, he'll do the same for you. If, if it's hard, that's okay. Hard isn't an excuse to not pursue unity. 
If anything, it's a reason to fight for it. Because very few things in life worth having come without effort. Which, which means that we need to be willing to go after this unity. So we're going to strive to be a community that is unified. Because a, a unified community understands that sin is dangerous. And that it's not loving to allow our brothers and sisters in Christ to walk in sin. Which means that we need to be willing to have the, the, the kind of relationships where we can love and lovingly confront sin where we see it. We, we need to be open to correction when it comes. Like, like if you come to me, if you hear me say something from this pulpit or, or even just out in town and, and I'm wrong, I'm, I'm out of line, I'm out of the bounds of what scripture says, you, if I don't receive that feedback, then, then you need to fire me as your pastor. We need to be willing to receive correction when it comes. We need to be willing to repent when we have sinned. And we need to love each other enough to be willing to have those kinds of hard conversations. We need to be willing to have hard conversations to struggle toward Christ-likeness together, to spur one another on to maturity in Christ together. If we want to be serious about making disciples, then we have to be a community that is unified. That's our second distinctive. The third distinctive of the early church that I want you to see is that the early church was a community committed to the gospel. The, the early church was a community committed to the gospel. Take a look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Do you see what's, what's going on in that one verse right there? The, the apostles at this point, they are the elders. They are the pastors. They, they're the shepherds of the church. And what you see them doing is boldly proclaiming the gospel. And they're doing it with great power. Now, the scholars across the board are unified in, in that, that great power that's mentioned there in verse 33 is a reference to the signs and wonders. It's a reference to the miracles that the apostles performed as they proclaimed the good news that they had in Jesus. And this verse is, is demonstrating to us an immediate answer to those big prayers that they just prayed. Like they, they gather together, they pray this big prayer, and then immediately they're doing it. They're boldly proclaiming the gospel. God is blessing them as they do. The Lord was giving them the blessings, the boldness that they needed to proclaim the gospel. And he was pouring out his grace on all of them, on, on the whole church. As, as he did that. You, you see, this church was committed to the gospel because they understood how important the gospel is for life and faith. And we need to let that sink in for a second. Like, like the gospel, you need it for your whole life. You need it for your whole walk with Christ. Not, not just the day that you get saved. I, I think a lot of us think that the gospel is how we get saved and then we think that we need to move on be beyond the gospel into kind of the bigger things of faith. But that's, that's not the case. To, to quote Pastor J.D. Greer, he says, the gospel is not merely the diving board off of which you jump into the pool of Christianity. The gospel is the pool itself. We need to be committed to the gospel. We, we want it to be tied into every single sermon that you hear from this stage. 
We want it to be interwoven into the songs that we sing together on Sunday. We want it to be at the center of what we're teaching our kids over in Super Church every Sunday and what we're teaching our kids over in the nursery every Sunday. We want it to be at the core, the foundation of what our youth are experiencing on Wednesday nights. We need to be committed to the gospel. We need to be constantly reminded that Christ has saved us from our sin, that we, we aren't our saviors, he's our savior, because we're constantly prone to forget. I don't know about y'all, but I am constantly prone to think that I've got to save myself, that I've got to clean myself up, that I've got to do it on my own. And so we need to be reminded because we forget that there's grace for us when we fail. We, we forget that there's freedom from the weight of past mistakes. We forget that God has done what we cannot do for ourselves. And so we keep trying. We keep trying to fix it ourselves. We keep trying to clean ourselves up. And what happens when we do that? We, we'll have some success. We'll, we'll do okay for a season. And then we fall smack on our face. Why is that? Because we're terrible saviors. We can't save ourselves. God is the one who saves us by sending his son to die in our place. We need to be reminded of the gospel. I keep telling you, the gospel can be quickly summarized as bad news, worse news, good news, better news. We need to remind, like rehearse it, memorize this so you can say it to yourself. The bad news, we're sinners and our sin separates us from God. Our rebellion against a holy and a righteous God condemns us to eternal punishment in hell. We don't like to talk about hell, but that's the truth. That's the bad news. The worst news is that there's absolutely nothing that we can do to fix that for ourselves. We cannot fix our sin problem by ourselves. But the good news is that though we, are, that though we are, are sinners, though we can't fix it ourselves, we're not left to ourselves. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He died the death that we deserve to die in our place in order to reconcile us to God. And the better news is that because he did that, because he died in our place, because he was that, to use the big Bible word, the propitiation for our sins, our atoning sacrifice, because he did that, we get God. We get to spend eternity reconciled to God. We're no longer under the weight of our sin anymore. It doesn't have to drag us down. It doesn't have to weigh us down. We are free to approach the throne of grace with boldness to pray those big prayers that we just talked about because he died for our sin and gave us his righteousness. It's bad news, worse news, good news, better news. That's the gospel message. And we need to be constantly reminded of that. If we're going to be serious about making disciples, then we've got to be a community that's committed to the gospel. Finally, I want you to see the fourth distinctive of the early church that we see in this text, and that's that the early church was a community that sacrificed for one another. They're a community that sacrificed for one another. Take a look at the second half of verse 32. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, skip down to verse 34. There, there was not a needing person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. 
Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Do you do you see the radical generosity that's going on in the early church right there? I, I think, if we're being honest, this is one of those passages that we like to read really quickly and then just move on into chapter 5 so that we can make of Ananias and Sapphira who thought that they could fool God, right? Like, like we want to spend all our time focusing on this and just ignore this little chunk right here. But there's something going on here that I want you to make note of. You see, what's going on here, first of all, it was completely voluntary. And second, it grew out of their love for one another. Hear me clearly on this. This is not socialism. Okay, you'll see people take this passage and the end of Acts chapter 2 and say, look, Christianity equals socialism. No, it doesn't. It just doesn't. This is brothers and sisters in Christ in community with one another who have recognized that their hope wasn't in material possessions. Their their hope wasn't in land. It wasn't in gold. It wasn't in their houses. Their hope was in Christ. And once they saw that, they were able to joyfully share what they had with their fellow believers. This is Christians living out what Paul was trying to explain to the church in Corinth because they didn't get it. So, so look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He, he's trying to teach the Corinthian church about giving. And so he tells them, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Underline that. If, if you write in your Bibles, underline that. Not, uh, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. And all our prosperity gospel people want to stop right there. They want to say, hey, look, the Bible says you're going to be enriched in every way. But he keeps talking. Underline what comes next. To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, the the early church understood that they had been blessed in order to be a blessing. God blesses us. He absolutely does. He blesses us financially at times. But he does it. We can be a blessing to others. This church voluntarily, they, they voluntarily sacrificed. They voluntarily gave in order to take care of their fellow Christians. And I want to point out again that this isn't about being compelled to do it. This is about heart posture. They loved Jesus more than their money. They loved Jesus more than their stuff. They loved him more than their lands and their houses, so they sold them to further the ministry. And and I'm not standing up here, and I'm telling you that's what you should do, okay? There's no pressure. I'm not going to collect an offering in here today. You can give on the box if you want to. 
You can give online if you want to, but, but I'm not here telling you that that's what you need to do, that you need to go sell your house and live in a trailer on, at a campground and, and, and give the money to the church. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that if you love Christ, that should impact every aspect of your life. Every aspect. And that includes your finances. The Bible's really clear about this. It includes your finances. If you want to be serious about making disciples, then we need to be a community that sacrifices one another. So, so let's ask the question, how? How can you sacrifice? You can give financially, of course. You absolutely can give. Everything we're doing here, it takes money. That's just the world we live in. But I'm not just talking about money. Like cards on the table, y'all have been awesome at giving. You've been great. All through the pandemic, the church has been giving. We've been funded. We've been able to do things. We've been able to continue ministry. To my knowledge, we haven't had to cut a single thing from our ministry. You guys have been awesome. Keep it up. That's great. But there are other ways we can give. And the biggest way in Alberta where I need you guys to start giving more is of your time and your talents. I need you guys to serve. I need you to be part of the church. We need people who can serve in this church. We need people who can serve over in Super Church on Sunday mornings. We need people to serve in the nursery. We need people to serve on the security team. We need kid, people to serve in our youth and kids ministry on Wednesday nights. I need more people to help run the screens and run the sound. We need people to serve. We're renovating buildings. I need people to serve by helping us renovate buildings. There are a million ways that you can serve in your church. And, and today, I, I want to just give you the open invitation. Come serve. If you're interested in serving, come talk to me after the service. Or if you'd prefer, throw it up there. Can you throw my email address? That's my email address, josh at tothepoint.church. It's hard to remember. Josh at tothepoint.church. Shoot me an email. Say, hey, Josh, I'd love to serve in kids' ministry. Hey, Josh, I'd love to help you with the renovations. Hey, Josh, I'd love to be on the security team. We need you to serve. We want you to join as we own the mission of reaching this community with the gospel. We need you to serve because we want to be a community that sacrifices for one another and for the gospel. So let me challenge you to pray about this. Pray and ask God, hey, how can I serve? How can, how can I give to my church? How can I sacrifice to see your gospel furthered in Alberta? And, and just so we can be like completely cards on the table, just so we can be completely transparent, the word sacrifice, right? That's in there, community that sacrifice for one another. The word sacrifice, it implies that sometimes there will be pain involved. Sometimes it's going to hurt to give, and that's not a bad thing. Let me tell you, it's going to be worth it. Even if it's hard to give, whether we're talking about money or your time or your talents or your treasure, you're going to serve and, and the kids are going to, you're, you're going to feel like, like they didn't hear a word you said. You're going to serve and you're going to feel like I was just a babysitter for 15 minutes or, or I just stood outside and nothing happened. What's the point of the security team? There are going to be times where it's going to hurt a little bit but I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it because what you're sacrificing for is bigger than you or me. It's, it's God's kingdom. It's eternal. So if we want to be serious about making disciples, then we need to be a community that sacrifices for one another. Can we do that? I think we can do that together.
Today we're beginning a new year. And, and as we begin this new year, if you can't tell, I'm excited. Like, like this is going to be a good year. We're going to do some awesome stuff this year as we serve the Lord. Challenges or no challenges, it's going to be a good year. So as we're thinking about this year ahead that the Lord's giving us to serve him in Alberta, and we're thinking about what we want to do and what we don't want to do, I, I hope that I've given you a bit of a picture, a, a bit of a vision of what it means for us. Let's not be satisfied with just playing church. Let's not be satisfied with just coming together on a Sunday morning and then going out and living our lives. In fact, what I would, what I would say is let's ask God to give us a holy, a, a righteous discontent for living in the status quo. And let's be serious about making disciples. Let's remember that the church isn't supposed to be this building. It's a, it's a community. And, and let's be a community that prays. A, a community that fights to maintain genuine biblical unity. A, a community that's committed to the gospel. A community that sacrifices for one another. In this year ahead, let's, let's live out the mission that God has given us to make disciples. And let's be serious as we do it. I'm excited for the year ahead. So, so let's get out there and let's do it. Can we do that? You guys there? There we go. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day and this time that you've given us. We thank you for this word from Acts chapter 4, this encouragement to be the church, to be a community that strives to go after you. To, to be a family that, that follows you each day, day in, day out. And so, God, we ask that you would work on us, that you would empower us, that you would encourage us to follow after you, that you would give us a desire to be that kind of church. And, God, we ask that you would help us to be a witness to the world that we would encourage people to come and follow after you, to take hold of this gospel, this good news that you have given us, to see lives changed for, for the better, changed in a radical way. God, we thank you that you're at work in us, and we ask that you would continue to be at work. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.